himself looking at the spines of the books behind the desk. Weir was still watching him. Now, tell me how we're going to run it. Okay, you've got these two families, the Lanigans and the Murchisons. The second accused, McVeigh, he's just hired muscle. Lanigans have got a tribe of kids and both parents are dead. They're in the fishing game, but a bit on the periphery, well-known troublemakers in the town. They get an approach from the Murchisons, who own just about everything in the main street. They're also into fishing, and they've got an abalone license. The Murchisons say we're getting more abalone than we can legally sell through the co-op or whatever, so if you take these extra abalone to Melbourne so we can move them through the black market, we'll give you a commission. Why don't they take their own abalone to Melbourne? License is worth a couple of million dollars, and they're not going to risk it. Fisheries do roadblocks, all sorts of stuff to catch these people, so they're better off putting a couple of expendables on the road and just denying everything if they get caught. What? With shellfish? It's not exactly Burmese heroin. It's very expensive stuff. There's only a dozen or so of these licenses west of the Cape, and there's an insatiable export market. I rang their fisherman's board after I'd finished reading the brief and I got talking to this guy. He described it as swimming along, scooping up hundred-dollar bills. Anyway, those boats are only sharing about 25 tonnes of product for the year, so the quota quickly cuts them off. And the co-op, the central clearinghouse for the abalone, it issues a docket, which has to stay with that consignment of shellfish pretty much all the way to the table. Makes it very hard to fool the system once the abalone catch has been declared. So you don't declare it in the first place. Weir nodded. What about the murder charge? I think at a gut level a jury would buy it. There's clear physical evidence of deliberate homicide, the way the wound looks. There's motive... The Murchisons were behind in their payments and the victim was getting lippy about it. He'd complained to people at the pub, he'd made scenes at various times in front of others. It's a small town and people have a mind for other people's business. If the town witnesses stand up, then none of that's going to be too difficult. There's opportunity, the accused have got access to a boat. The phone records show some contact during the day between accused and victim, and then again about an hour before the fires first spotted from shore, so that all ties in. Neither of the accused has got much of an alibi, and one of them, I think McVean, can be placed at the wharf. He accessed the security panel at exactly the right time. Murchison is by all accounts slightly smarter than McVean, but he was silly enough to answer a few questions in his police interview. Made a bit of a mess of it. McVean's dumb, but different kind of dumb. Knows enough to give a no comment. Anyway, the police version is very plausible. They arranged to meet at sea, either for the accused to provide more product to the victim, or so they could set up an ambush. There's a disagreement out there, or the whole thing was prearranged. They shoot him then and there on board the Murchison's boat, throw him over into his own boat, and set fire to it in the hope it'll burn to the waterline, and... Why? Why not weigh the body down and dump it at sea? Why not sink the boat with the body in it? I guess because that area is not very deep, according to the local coppers, and someone would eventually come across the boat. You know, snag it on a net or a craypot or something. All right, why not tow it out to sea and then do it? Yeah, why not? That's the best of all worlds. Take it ten miles out and do it. You've got sonar, so you can make sure it's deep. Maybe they just panicked. But if they set the killing up from the very start, why would they fall at the last hurdle like that? What do the cops say about that? Charlie could see Weir laying out a matrix of thought that stretched well ahead of the question.
They've got no problem with calling it panic. They reckon these boys are a bit thick. They're also pretty fond of the idea that the gun only came along for intimidation. Whichever of these two is holding it, he's just lost his composure momentarily and bang. Course, that makes it a felony murder for the other, so it doesn't much matter who was who at the time. Everything just unravels for them after that, and they decide to torch the boat without thinking. Too late once it's alight. Charlie slapped his hands onto his knees and exhaled. What about the weapon? Search and rescue picked it up easily enough. They drew a straight line between the area where the witnesses placed the boat on fire and the harbour mouth. Then they just dived a grid both sides of that line, and there it is, in about ten feet of water. Bolt action 22. Ballistics are a match. Silly bastards didn't even think to go and dump it somewhere else. Weir had the glass paperweight under the end of one finger and was rolled...